Welcome to Watch This Space, the podcast about future of work. Every month, we bring you insider perspectives on how digital transformation, emerging tech, and generational change are shaping the future of work. We are two analog guys finding the groove for all of this in today's digital world. I'm John Arnold, and these trends are my focus as an independent tech analyst in my company, J. Arnold & Associates. And I'm Chris Fine. I'm an independent consultant and strategist specializing in workplace technology, IoT, and security. My company is Integrative Technologies. Hi, John. Hi, everybody. Let's welcome to another month of Watch the Space. Glad to have everyone back. And, you know, uh, Chris, as I was going through our intro and I was thinking about one of the terms I referred to as generational change. And uh, you and I were speaking just offline earlier about uh, mostly about music, but also kind of the cultural landscape of how things have have been changing. And, uh, you know, the sensibilities that we have about technology today, you know, for digital natives, I I think they're, you know, their expectations, their experiences, their their dependencies on these technologies are just so different from what we grew up with, right? And, um, you know, as we were talking earlier about music, you know, simpler times, more, uh, you know, homogenous world where most people did similar things and had similar aspirations. And today's world is just so fragmented and individually focused. It, it, it's, it's getting harder to understand. I'm finding this is a bit of an editorial, but I'm just re- riffing off of this generational change idea, Chris. That it just strikes me more and more as we use these tools today um, about how everything is being filtered through technology now. And it kind of defines value and our experiences. And we didn't come from that that generation, right, where everything was analog and nothing was filtered through technology. And we experience things very differently. And it's I've been traveling a bit lately and been around younger people a little more than I normally am. And it just really strikes me how, how differently things are evolving, you know, in terms of how we relate to technology and depend on it. I agree. I was thinking while, while I was listening to what you were saying, and I mean, I debatably our generation came in to a world where the presence of technology was rapidly growing because I think you could argue that that was the case really after and and accelerating after World War II and through the 50s. And we did have mass media, um, which was, you know, but but not so much individualized media, you know, like that mass media really started with newspapers and radio and then television was a huge change, but it wasn't a case for, most of our existence that you would really go through completely immersed in technology all day long. I guess that feels like the difference. And it wasn't, it wasn't super individualized, you know, Uh, uh, what was on TV was what was on TV. A phone was a phone. And, and so it wasn't all tailored exactly to you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, and I'm not saying for better or worse, right? Because it, it does cut both ways. But it, it makes me think a little bit more about a recent event that I had attended. So uh, over the month, the past month, I've had three very different 
fairly big trips. Uh, and that's way more than I normally do. But the first one was a trip to Porto, Portugal for the 5-9 uh, analyst summit. And to show you how times have changed, Chris, when you talk about individualized use of technology, especially social media, how uh, so much of today's world is about building your personal brand and how you come across and interact with people in the online world, not the physical world. And I still have a hard time getting my head around that. But really interesting to hear the messaging coming from one of the leading players in the contact center space, 5.9. And it's really a similar story, I think, in any other vertical market these days. Every tech, every company seems to be a technology company now. And when you're in the business of contact centers and customer service, you know, ultimately it's about interactions between people, right? How do call center agents help solve customer problems in real time, you know, and talking to them, being, you know, interacting with them directly. But when, you know, listening to what 5.9 is bringing to market and the evolution of these technologies, it's become almost entirely AI driven now. And, you know, this was not the story three or four years ago. Same company, they've, they've been out there over 10 years. And of course, everything changes with technology, but uh, it's just interesting to see how centric the messaging has become around AI. And now the critical capabilities of companies like Five9 are really about their ability to help contact centers kind of capture and leverage the data that comes from these interactions. Because as we talk about with digital transformation, you know, everything as it becomes digital now becomes a form of data. And the actual like conversation agents and customers have is important. But what's more important is the stuff around those conversations. And when it becomes a data, you know, bit that's fed into this large, you know, what they call large language models, right, to interpret everything and and, and um, it gets fed into these algorithms, et cetera, et cetera, that help automate customer service and in some cases help make better decisions and create better outcomes than you could have done. And that's that's the selling point for this stuff. But it doesn't always work that way, of course, and it's always evolving. But it's just really interesting to see how Technology is just driving, you know, every value proposition that, that I seem to be seeing these days. That's interesting. Maybe it would be helpful, John, if you illustrated an example. I think some of our listeners may not be as acquainted with the world of contact center technology as you might be. So what what would be an example in like a, an example of an interaction or or an ability that AI would, or they would claim that AI would bring to that. Yeah. So I, the a good, you know, typical example would be when an a, a customer interacts with a contact center. Usually, it's by phone, but increasingly, it's being done over digital channels like text or social media, uh, mobile phones, right? Even video. Um, but the point is that they find ways to, you know interact with a contact center and and some kind of problem has to be solved. Well, when the agent picks up a call prior to things like AI, they didn't know what the caller, what the customer was calling about, 
what the issue was, what the customer's state of mind was. But today, all that information becomes visible to the agent before they even pick up the call. Because they, once the call is routed to a particular agent, these, you know, the AI systems are, have already picked up who this customer is, what their history is with your company. So you already have, uh, right off the bat, when you pick up that call, some in intelligence about who that person is and what they might be calling about. With AI, the whole thing about this tech, this set of technologies that fall under the AI umbrella, you know, it because it's collecting all of these data points about, you know, what we call the customer journey, you know, every interaction that customer has ever had, visiting your website, going to your store, responding to a text marketing message you might have sent them, it's all captured. And even though it exists across many silos, 5.9 talked a lot about this, so how they can, can kind of work across silos to pull all of the data points together into one place. And then with the power of AI to process large amounts of data, you know, in real time, and this will take us to chat GPT, which we'll get to in a moment, but it, it, it can hand, it can process information at a far greater and faster scale than any human can possibly do. That actually is a good thing for the contact center because now you can have that agent more prepared for the conversation the customer wants to have. Not only that, we talk about something called predictive analytics, where AI is really good at following patterns, recognizing patterns, and kind of looking at kind of normative behaviors that would say, okay, you know what, we because we've been tracking millions of calls over the last few years, we've been able to consolidate all that information to say, you know what, there's a, it's a very probabilistic model, right? We can say with a high degree of certainty that if the customer is saying these things, these would be the issues. Or more importantly, these are the responses that you as an agent can give and be reasonably confident you're going to get a good outcome. So it takes a lot of the guesswork. So there's a lot of like in-call coaching that AI can provide to the agent to make sure they say the right things or or pick up the right cues from what the customer is saying. So the AI is working in real time in the background to, you know, give the right cues to say, well, this customer, you know, because of this history this customer has had and his behaviors in the past or her behaviors in the past, that these are the likely outcomes. So if you, you know, it kind of guides the agent to make the right kind of interaction with the customer that will, you know, have the least downside and probably the most upside. Now, it's never guaranteed because AI is not perfect. And you do have to rely on intuition sooner or later, just your gut instinct, of course. That's what makes it a human experience. But when you're talking large-scale contact centers with thousands of agents, they, they can't take they, – they, they'll go broke trying to figure out how to make every experience truly intuitive and totally human. So they've got to find ways to automate the process, move the calls along faster. And that's where AI comes into play, doing a lot of that heavy lifting. It's not going to get every call right, but I guess the batting average, you know, they'll, they'll get more right than they'll get wrong. And that's that's a better level than they're currently able to do without any of this stuff. And that's why these vendors are pushing the AI story so hard. Well, let me see if I can play that back a little bit and see if see if see if I got this. So 
even with prior generations of technology, my customer, at first it sounded like, well, you're saying, okay, all the data comes in front of the customer, but that was possible before, i.e. anything on file that you had like all your prior interactions and whatever was logged about you would come up when your call was routed, that we had. But what I think I'm hearing that AI adds is it allows a lot of interpretations based on that versus everybody else who called and allows, it, it helps the agent with a lot of sort of the interpretive work that prior the agent would have had to do. So it's going to make the call potentially faster because it's going to use a huge amount of input data to say, okay, well, ask the customer this question or do this or do that. You know, this it's probable that the customer is calling about X. And to so to suggest a lot of what you would get if you had extensive training, which you can't do necessarily over a pool of agents that big who have a high degree of um, turnover. So it, and it, so in the long run, if it's used properly, it could lead to a more consistent and improved customer experience because right now it's a little bit of a roll of the dice as to who you might get in your average call center. So does are those some of the advantages that it adds? Yeah, yeah. And so as I say, it doesn't get it right every time, but it certainly increases the odds of an agent getting a better outcome, as you say, with fewer inputs, you know, fewer you know, human resources being consumed. That's a very kind of clinical way of looking at it. But I think it's it's not it, it, it is it can be very helpful for the agent to be more effective at what they do. But bigger picture, of course, it's also about automating the entire service kind of spectrum, right? So the less you have to engage an agent, which is your most expensive resource in running a contact center labor, um, and the more you can steer customers to self-service and automated forms of engagement, then you can handle the call volumes, right? You, you, you don't have to keep hiring more and more agents. So there is a, there is a, you know, an economic argument to be made for how these forms of AI can not just enhance the performance of a, a human agent, but also to make the self-service experience much better than it's ever been. And that, of course, allows them to manage these workloads more effectively because now self-service can be a 24-7 thing. It doesn't take breaks. It doesn't, you know, you don't have to pay it. It scales very uh, cost-effectively. So it has a lot of potential. And we just have to get to a point where we can trust it. And we've talked about this before, to trust the technology that it can handle reasonably complex forms of customer uh, service. And, and so it's getting better and better. And the thing you mentioned about training, Chris, is an important part of this because, you know, AI is very much a self-learning uh, kind of paradigm where the more you use it, the better it gets. And so the, the more opportunities you have to engage with customers, the more chances you have of getting the things you got wrong the first time, getting them right, and then it becomes more of a well-oiled machine. So that's that's kind of the hope, right, that you bring with all of these um, AI platforms. Yeah, and also I think if you're if you're looking forward and you kind of think about the trends as you were talking about generally generationally demographically all of that the the trend is for people to have to want more self-service except on a very high end. So 
when when you get to some crazy level of luxury, then it all becomes about personal service, right? So that's not really the mm-hmm. fertile field for AI necessarily. But that's a that's a small minority. When you look at the evolution of, but if you look at the evolution of interaction across most people, especially with younger folks, you'd rather do self service. I mean, I'm far. I'm not a young person myself, and I'd rather do self-service than many of the all center experiences that I have. You know, if 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 self-service could be made to the point where it could do the job, then I'm I I'm willing to do that, you know? And I, I guess you and I are part of one of the last generation that even normally picked up the phone and talked to people, right? Because that was what we what we were accustomed to and we still are more willing to do that. Whereas most interaction now is really digital, you know? So if you can help make that digital self-service interaction better, you're probably going to be aligned with maybe what more of the customers are looking for. I'm not saying it's all a good thing because personal service is always good, but don't you think that's where it's heading? Oh, for sure. For sure. You know, um, and and there's still enough examples of, you know, really poor customer service. I was telling you earlier, Chris, about both of two of my recent trips. I've had to deal with airlines about issues with our flights and credits and stuff. And uh, it's just an agonizing experience. I mean, it, it's just so much harder than it needs to be. And um, the process is in place to do this because the, the large kind of institutionalized, you know, contact center environments are very, uh, very siloed and you you know you mentioned earlier like the CRM data yes we've been able to do this for a long time to kind of put everything into one spot but today with the rise of digital channels data now is being collected in a much wider range of places that go way beyond what CRM would normally uh, support so you have to cast a much wider net to pull in all of the data to kind of get that whole picture of the customer because digital channels have made it easy for customers to interact with companies in ways they couldn't before right because a right. lot of times you know social media is like the fastest way to get somebody's attention in a call center not calling a toll-free number and waiting on hold for 20 minutes so exactly exactly right. when you say crm john just to but in here a little bit, you mean customer relationship manager, which is a management, which is a form of software. It's big yes. industry. So um, Salesforce, right, would be the most well-known example of that. Yeah. So that basically pops up. I mean, it does many things, but one of the things it does is it can pop up your whole customer history when you call or when you supply a very basic piece of information like your birth date or, or whatever it is, your account number. It, it it will show the age and everything that the CRM system thinks that they need to see, but that the inputs to that are quite limited, generally being restricted to whatever goes into that system. Yeah, and it's primarily diagnostic, you know, and this thing is with, with AI, now it becomes prescriptive because now AI builds the intelligence applications with, with the, uh, you know, machine learning inputs that say, okay, now let's take that data and now we can anticipate what that means this now you can provide agents with some very tangible kind of paths to engage the customer to say well based on this information we have seen you know 
these types of customers are very likely to want to do X or will be expecting some kind of an offer along these lines. So you can kind of take that raw material and build it into what ultimately you're trying to do, provide a very personalized experience where the agent comes across as being very knowledgeable about what the customer's needs are and to actually provide some value by saying, well, you know what, we can anticipate that, you know, you might want to consider this. And now you're telling the customer something they hadn't thought of. So now you're kind of upping your value to them because you're going beyond just solving a problem for them. You're actually trying to make the relationship that you have with that customer richer. And that's what you're ultimately trying to do. Well, it would certainly be welcome if it makes customer service any better. Right. Oh, we'll, we'd all vote for that, right? <laughs> we'd all I mean, vote for that. We would hope that it would more enable the staff than replace them. But it, it at the very least, it's if 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 assistive AI, I think it's the term, helps them do their work and might lower the really bad stress that you get in that job, and hence the high turnover, then. It would be it would be helpful, and certainly if it improves the customer experience, it would be helpful. Because uh, you know, I was saying earlier about picking up the phone. I, I've kind of got to the point where, in many cases, I just dread doing it. Mm. Now, <laughs> like sometimes I know that if I do it, it's going to be more effective than trying to communicate with some with email or something. And so I I'm not worried about doing it or, or hesitant to pick up the phone. Uh, but I find that with respect to customer service, it's just in many cases a losing game. You know, it's like my my confidence that I'm going to call an organization and actually be served and helped is very low, kind of across the board. You know, yeah. it's not something that I look forward to doing. I know that's kind of a commentary. Yeah, you know, me, but that's <laughs> kind of how I feel these days. You know. Yeah. Yeah. The last thing I want to just talk about, Chris, with from this 5.9 event was uh, the highlight for me was listening to Jonathan Rosenberg update us on ChatGPT. And the reason why I want to mention this is he is one of the kind of the godfathers of SIP. And he goes back to the earliest days of that dynamic soft. And he was a big player at Cisco for a while. But he's found a very nice home at 5.9. And he's truly one of the pioneers of these technologies. And he's really good at articulating, you know, in, in language we can understand what this stuff all means and showing what how they're approaching the whole kind of AI problem set. And it he, he really covers the ground well. And he did a really great job. I mentioned chat GPT earlier of trying to explain, just like you say, Chris, all of our audience are not necessarily call center, you know, aficionados, but he's doing a very good job of helping people understand that ChatGPT is different from a chatbot. And because people kind of associate AI along those lines of chatbots and service automation, but we've talked about this before too, Chris, but ChatGPT and these generative AI applications now are taking AI to a completely different level of utility that we didn't have before. So when we talk about adding value to the contact center, ChatGPT will do things like faster meeting summaries, call summaries, I should say. So for example, sometimes it used to be that agents would have to take a lot of side notes to kind of pick up the threads of what they have to talk about. But ChatGPT will help them automatically generate responses 
And so they don't have to think about, like, say they're doing a text chat with a customer. ChatGPT can kind of generate a lot of the conversation and do it in a way that's very human-like. That's new, this idea of generating new responses as opposed to just recognizing what's being said. And that's some, that's a hard thing for people to get their heads around about what where AI is going right now. And it's just a lot further along than what we had been thinking about before. Because as we know, chatbots have had kind of a bad rap. So it kind of turns people away. So I don't want anything to do with that. It's, it's wrong most of the time. Why would I bother? This is another level of things that, you know, it's a new value proposition now with AI. And that's, to me, the important story. Like I said earlier, everything seems to be filtered now through AI capabilities. And contact center vendors are clearly all in on this. And frankly, I, I don't think it's much different in, in most other sectors at this point now. So we need more Jonathan Rosenbergs out there who can explain it and make people feel comfortable that we're using it for the right reasons. Well, I think those are two very different things, explaining it and making people feel comfortable. Oh, yeah. Um, but certainly it helps to have an explanation. I also just wanted to note back that you said SIP, and most people wouldn't know what that was. That's that's a protocol. That was an invention of a protocol, a mechanism that most telephone calls and messaging interactions are based on today. That's what succeeded the old type of telephone network. Uh, so he was really a pioneer, Jonathan and a few other people who invented that technology and great credit to that group because it's become pervasive, right? For sure. For sure. You know, it, it feels like just on the chat GPT that it's first, I mean, one of the things I don't see covered a lot, but one could think about is that chat GPT in its initial stages is going after a huge amount of generated content of all kinds that's very routine. And it's so that the level of that content is so pervasive that people don't think of it as a thing, right? So we're talking about the standard boilerplate on web pages. We're talking about responses to most situations or let's say a recap of the day on Wall Street, for example or an analysis of, of a quarterly results of a company, you know, in financial world, um, standard notes on a doctor's visit based on what everything that was observed, um, notes on uh, sort of routine types of radiology, you know, that you could just go on and on and on and on. There's just so much stuff that is not super dis differentiated, but is necessary. And I don't know if if everybody's really thought about the consequences of that getting automated, you know, it kind of strikes me as being similar to many sorts of relatively routine factory operations that got automated and what happened, you know, like there were a lot of jobs that were in the manufacturing sector once upon a time where you needed to have a certain level of skill, right? You can't, you couldn't know nothing about, for example, how to use a tool and, although they would train you, but by the time you got the job, you sort of needed to know how to like, for example, use a wrench. And um, there were many, many jobs like that. It was the sort of the, the main body of manufacturing jobs, which were not highly skilled or differentiated that ultimately got automated. And I think it is a real societal question about when this happens with sort of word content and 
routine spreadsheet analysis and routine types of PowerPoint presentations and all of this kind of core blood flow of business, you know, that's not manufacturing. Does that, does that make any sense? Yeah, well, yeah. And to me, it, it touches on the bigger picture, which was probably another podcast episode, but some of the stuff I've seen in the, in, in the uh, 5G space with how things are moving along towards IoT and applications of AI in what we would call industry 4.0. So instead of, you know, enterprise applications, but in, you know, manufacturing, logistics, you know, all these bigger, more complex plays where, again, as you say, Chris, there were mostly, you know, a lot of skilled or semi-skilled labor required right, to, to drive trucks, to operate cranes, right, all these things and do, you know, mining, which is dangerous work. There are a lot of cases here where, you know, intelligent automation can be better, can be a 24-7 process, right? It, it, it raises a lot of ideas here about how we think about everything that we've ever done before, every industry, every workflow, if it's filtered through the AI lens, it can all be automated and and uh, whether we like it or not, I mean, you're going to lose things along the way that are personal touch things that we feel good about, but the, 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 the cry for more efficiency and lower cost from, you know, organizations and entities leads them to say, this is the way we're going to go. And I, I, I don't want to get bleak about it, but you know, if, if AI automates things so damn well, you know, none of it, there'll be no jobs for people to do anymore. And I don't know where that takes us, <laughs> but that's, that's a, that's a darker episode, I guess. Well, but, I don't necessarily want to get into that topic, but it is a legitimate question. I mean, in some ways, AI is kind of robotics of the mind, right? <laughs> and yeah. what does that mean? You, you have to think, right? And, you know, given where robotics, physical robotics has gone, especially with the combination of AI, which adds a bit of a cranium to a robot, then, you know, what uh, what happens when it's robotics of the mind, right? Because, mm -hmm. you know, it's really become a mind activity economy in a lot of sectors in, in recent decades, you know, uh, so-called knowledge work, whatever you want to call it. And, um, I think it's only now just the beginning of trying to figure out what automating that in the classic sense really implies. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, in a way, I'm, I'm kind of circling back to how we started this podcast about talking about how everything is getting filtered now through the lens of technology and, and especially AI. And we don't know where this is going. And maybe that's a good way to stop today. <laughs> maybe it is. We're kind of stopping a at a quandary and we could... Pick it up yeah. next time, right? Yeah, because we, we're we all trying to figure this out. And I guess that's what I'm trying to say. We don't know where it's going to go, but we know we can't let it just keep going on its own course. It's just, it's, you know, a lot of things to think about and be concerned about. And so, okay. All right. We'll call it a draw for now, Chris. Yeah. A that sounds like right. That. Yeah. I mean, I guess I, I agree with you that left unconsidered and unanalyzed, it's not all going to go in a good direction would be my point of view. It's not inherently uh, it's not inherently awful, but left alone it will not go in a good direction. Yeah, yeah. And then, well, all right, that'll bring us to a 2001 Space Odyssey conversation at some point. So, all right, let's <laughs> leave them hanging. <laughs>
Okay, so that brings us to time for today, folks. And we want to thank you for listening as always. Hope you enjoyed it today and that you'll continue with us as we explore the future of work here on Watch This Space. You can access all of our episodes at www.watchthisspace.tech or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. And if you like what we're saying here, we'd love uh, to hear your thoughts or a rating or suggestions for future episodes. And with that, I'm John Arnold. And I'm Chris Fine. Thank you all for listening to another episode. Thanks, John, as always, for having me on as a co-host. And we'll look forward to another month of Watch This Space.